This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 444, Flashback to X-Men Age of Apocalypse, part 2. Welcome to Comic Shenanigans, this is episode 444, it's our... Flashback to X-Men Age of Apocalypse Part 2. Uh, part 1 was episode 442 as I uh, welcomed back to, uh, frequent guests in the past, uh, Paul Scores and Nathan Struck to kind of break down and talk about Age of Apocalypse. Uh, this is part 2 of that conversation, uh, picking up where we left off last time. We were talking about uh, the map that kind of broke down the Age of Apocalypse, etc. as we're kind of moving through the different titles and discussing what the each titles were and are some of our favorite characters, etc. from the storyline. Uh, you can email us at comicshenanigans at gmail.com like the show on Facebook, rate and review us on iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes, and also listen to us on Stitcher. Thanks again for joining us, and let's jump right into the episode, uh, picking right up where we left off uh, after the first uh, installment as uh, I, I make a, a realization about the covers to Generation Next. So let's jump right in. You know what I just realized? I don't know if I ever noticed that all, uh, each cover of Generation Next forms one big image. No. I did not know that. That's, a, that's an exclusive. You heard it here, here first, folks. <laughs> well, no. Okay, this is I don't think things. anyone knew that. <laughs> well, in, in the omnibus, they put all four of the, the covers together. Side by side. And now you can see it. The, the, yeah, they actually do form an image. Like it's, it's not obvious in some places, but now I'm not going to be able to not see it. For no, some I think it's two and two, though, because you can't have Colossus here and Colossus there. Oh, so then... That's yeah, two and two. Oh, okay, so it's these two. These three go there, these three go there. But this connects, too. Mm, that's weird. Then. So Colossus is in the image twice... Even though he shouldn't be. Okay, disregard what our earlier exclusive was. Unconfirmed. We still know. The mystery is, uh, is ongoing. Yeah. Um, I don't recall. Was there, is there more discussions between, or more thought or exposition with Rogue and Magneto? Um, Having a made child? The end? Well, no, they have the child, and that's great. But Magneto so willing to throw that away at the possibility of... A better world? better world. Yeah. Like sacrificing his own son... Yeah, well, that's an interesting. What do you mean? Too. You mean Quicksilver, or you mean Charles? Charles, isn't Charles protected by Nanny? Yeah, he protects Nanny, or Nanny protects Charles for much of it until Charles gets abducted. Or, so the idea was that they would just hide Charles away, and that they would be they would be able to send out each team, his mom, Rogue's team on one side, and you know Magneto on the other. And Magneto isn't really ahead of a team, is he? Magneto's just kind of flying around from place to place talking to people. Well, that's the thing, right? Because, like, in, in, in the book, like, he sends people off, and then he stays at home. Like, yeah. he sends out, like, his, his foot soldiers, kind of like Xavier does. And then well, he's and, kind of and, this is be- and this is because Magneto is weak, right? Like, they established that um, Apocalypse, for those of you who are familiar with the movie version, Apocalypse is actually a, human, a mutant an ancient mutant who found celestial technology. And his mutant power is just to live forever. It, the, all the power he actually gains is from these celestials. He encountered this ship anciently, and it, it, it's been orbiting the planet Earth, and he learned its secrets, and he constructed a suit for himself to reside in, and it's assisted him in his taking over of different nations. Um, apparently, in the Age of Apocalypse, Magneto has become, has has reduced his power by a fraction because he saw this ship that was assisting Apocalypse when Apocalypse was doing his, his thing, culling and taking over the world, and he used his magnetic powers to pull the celestial ship down to the Earth and destroying it. And so taking away the tactical advantage of Apocalypse's technology cost him, it's almost like he's had an, a stroke, as it were, right? Like, oh, Magneto is not as strong as he once was. Yeah, he's, he's, he's much weaker. 
So it's it's kind of that version of like Satan or sorry Lucifer. I mean, uh, same guy. Lucifer, the alien, uh, taking away Xavier's legs. He's been injured, um, so there's a part of him that is crippled. And so Magneto, in this case, it's his powers. His mutant powers are actually crippled. Uh, his 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 body is fine. Yeah. So that might explain why he needs to stay at home. That, actually, that makes sense. Um, in um, that that was the the kind of the in universe reason for why. He doesn't actually take part in the missions. Uh, I should mention as well, something that's not in the omnibus, but I always think is important reading, is uh, X-Men Chronicles, which replaced uh, X-Men Unlimited at the time, which was, a, I guess, a bi-monthly bi book. Uh, yeah, I think so. So it, that's why we only get two issues of it throughout this event, whereas X-Men Universe or Universe X, whatever that was, that was its own new thing. That wasn't actually replacing a title, as far as I'm aware, whereas X-Men Chronicles was, and that ended up telling kind of these early stories of uh, Magneto's X-Men team. And I actually think they're, the first one's really enjoyable. I liked I it a lot, yeah. Uh, it's by Howard Mackey and Terry Dodson, very not like what you'd expect from Terry Dodson no. whatsoever. Um, and you have like you know the first kind of interaction of Weapon X meeting the X Men and becoming part of that team and meeting Jean. You have the first time that Rogue gets there. You have the death of Scarlet Witch, um, which otherwise you don't really ever see her mentioned at all. Um, it's it's an interesting book, and also you get to see kind of the earlier versions of who would become Holocaust uh, before he gets the cool armor that everyone remembers the character for. Um, you get I think Kandra is one of the uh, the, the Horsemen. So is uh, Sabretooth at the time. Um, yeah, it, it's definitely it's it's early days. It's back when the X Men are at Wondergore Mountain. It's a it's a cool story, and I I like that that series a lot. I wish that it was in the omnibus because I'm always like, oh man, why wasn't that there? So okay, this, you brought it up. So let's talk about it. Holocaust. His he is called Apocalypse's son. Yes, but he's not Apocalypse's son. I guess correct. But he's called that, like, he's, he's adopted, I suppose, in to that family. Yeah. And he, his body becomes destroyed, right? Because of his own powers? Is that what destroys his body and makes him a skeleton man? No, I think they mentioned that Magneto did this to him. Or, like, Magneto okay. destroyed his body, but I guess the energy lived on and then ended up having to be contained in his crystallized suit. So they make this, as Adam mentioned, a crystallized containment suit, totally designed by Joe Madrera. Like, you can tell. Mm -hmm. um, and he becomes, you know, called Nemesis at one point, but then is called a Holocaust when he's in this suit, and he's got this atomic cannon yep. that can pretty much shoot through anything, and he's an extremely fearsome character, and he has his energies, his, his, what remains of his skeleton and his energies inside of this... He's, he's essentially a walking nuclear bomb, isn't he? Yep. Yeah. Um, which might explain why some of these areas are irradiated. Maybe the humans didn't bomb all of them. Maybe part of it is his holocaust. Um, and so his, he's, again, we mentioned the main villain in the uh, Astonishing X-Men storyline because their mission is to destroy this plant, this, these, these, these factories where they make what are called infinites. And my understanding, as I were, from my memories were correct, is the infinites are genetic... Okay, so they take human bodies and they kill them, and they take the bodies and then they either clone them or use the parts to create infinites. Is that what they're doing? Yes, that was always my reading of it. So they they they're, they're this is the army of apocalypse. These these faceless stormtroopers, essentially in green, who look like mechs, but inside are either hashed together Frankensteinian human bodies, part mutilated, part cobbled together. And um, their mission is to destroy this factory, this 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 plant that creates them. Um, and the name of in the current Marvel universe, there is a current version of Holocaust called 
um, genocide, or is that not correct? Is he not in the current Marvel Universe? No, that's correct. Okay. So what do you feel about the name change? Do you, I mean, um, genocide, genocide is still really a bad term, but he's a bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. I, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's interesting because like we're used to Apocalypse because we grew up with him, but like that name in, in and of itself is kind of like, that's the name of a character? Like, that's... It's, I mean, obviously, it makes sense for a combo character to be called Apocalypse. I'm surprised it took that long. Um, but it's kind of a weird, kind of on-the-nose name anyway. Um, Holocaust is obviously not a bad... It's a very bad connotation to something. Um, it makes sense for the character, what they were going for at the time. I'm actually surprised that they were able to get that past Comics Code. I'm extremely surprised. Like, that's... You, you would think that the Comics Code Authority, I mean, obviously was weakened by that period, but... I mean, that's, I mean, some of the stuff that we've talked about already, like, that's intense stuff. Like, I'm reading this, I'm 11 years old, you know, there's been people being massacred and called, like, there basically is everything that happened, not everything, but the same type of stuff that happened in World War II, we're seeing in a comic book, uh, in a highly dramatized format, but we're still seeing it happen. People are being led to slaughter, um, so I guess it makes sense to have a character named Holocaust. I'm surprised that they were able to do it. Is it insensitive? Yeah, um, yeah. I think I think the issue is because I mean, genocide is the general term, but different genocides have different names, and sometimes they're just called after the people. Like you have the Armenian genocide or the Rwanda genocide, exactly. but the Jewish genocide is referred to specifically as the Holocaust. So it is very specific. I, I guess it would be like calling this character, you know, Armenian genocide, like that. You know what I mean? I think that might be one of the reasons why I am incredibly surprised that it was allowed. I uh, when I was younger, I was like, oh, it just means a bad term, yeah. and then I was like, wait a minute, I took grade ten history. I know that's not what that means, so I, I think it's for the better. I'm glad they changed it, but it is one of those things where I discovered this character with that name, and so the difference of the name change makes me go, oh, I I don't know how I feel about it. I don't know. It's for the best, I think. I, I prefer genocide to nemesis. Um, yeah. Nemesis just doesn't work for me as a, as a name of a character. Who calls him? Sounds, like sounds like a Star Trek movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's just like, what is nemesis? Like, nemesis kind of works better, like, I am your nemesis, like, not just nemesis like it's a weird and what i think holocaust works well with as well is that you have the idea that magneto the leader of all these mutants that is trying to bring freedom back and stop apocalypse is a guy who survived the actual holocaust um so on that although it's interesting he never really ends up facing holocaust much uh we have a little bit of a a story about that in um x-men chronicles because obviously holocaust killed his daughter um, so there's a, and then Magneto wrecked his body. So there's definitely a no love lost between the two. But other, other outside of those two issues, you don't see a lot of uh, Magneto and, a, and the Holocaust actually going up against one another. Whereas if they had more of a direct relation, then I think it might have played a little differently because of Magneto's own background. Yeah, especially if like he had said, I chose this name because I know who you are and I know where you come from, and I'm trying to screw with you psychologically, perhaps. But yeah, um, so where do we go from here? Do you want to like talk about favorite moments in some of the books, or? Um, well, which characters do you think were best served? Uh, we've talked about costumes, but which characters, when you read this, whenever that was, which characters were the standouts that really that you enjoyed reading in this event? Not just the the visuals, but also like the actual the way they were they were written. Paul, jeez, mm. oh, um, I'll come back to you. Okay, uh, Nate, who kind of stood out for you? So we're talking just the way they were written, eh? Um, well, I, I think it's impossible to completely exercise the visuals, because that's going to be part of it, but it's kind of a combination of the two. Like, which 
which character do you think you took more note of or that you really thought benefited from the Age of Apocalypse in terms of actually getting a focus? Um, yeah. I was influenced, as I said before, I was influenced the most by Astonishing, and um, later on I enjoyed some other characters. So let me start with Astonishing. Um, I think the comedic relief of Morph um, is is quite excellent. I think the, the timing, I gotta say, Labdell uh, did a pretty good job taking an incredibly dark subject matter, and then it's so easy for Morph to be overused and I think it's uh, every once in a while he was but the only one who really uses him is, is Labdell in in, um, in that book in um, uh, Astonishing and uh, it's done to a great effect I can think of that scene in uh, I think it's issue 3 where they're about to uh, break into the infinite factory or pr- production process plants and he disguises himself as an infinite and his infinites are like I'm just doing this off the top of my memory and they're like oh you know uh, we're looking for these these traders and he's like uh, yeah but I think we should put on a show and the guy's like a show sure a show and I'll play the lead of course but that goes without saying and all of a sudden a top hat appears like it's just this goofy the mask he's very much the mask you know slapsticky oh, yeah. so I was the right age group for that because, you know, I'm in my mid-teens, and so the mask was, you know, still kind of a funny thing um, to me because of that. But uh, I don't know, looking back now, if I was to read this as an adult, if I'd care for more. So I feel like that is very much of the time to me. Um, but that he stood out completely. I was a huge Rogue fan, and she was the main character of the book. So I was just anxious to read anything she was in. I thought she was done very powerfully. Um, but the one that gave me the most most pathos uh, was a combination of Sunfire and Sabretooth. I love the relationship between Sabretooth and Wildchild. I love how incredibly heroic he is. He takes on uh, Holocaust or genocide one-on-one in this issue where he knows he can't win and there's nothing he can do and he's either going to get killed by Holocaust or he's at the very least, he's you know, very most, he's going to be defeated and won't be able to fight him and you know he's incredible battle where he tears off his contamination suit thinking that he'll he'll win in the end you know he he fails Uh, but incredible heroism from a character who essentially is a monster he's a creature in the marvel universe and i grew up with him in the x-men cartoon show and he was a sinister uh, masochistic serial killer mass murderer and in this you just it shows you this kind of philosophy the sense of uh, if if t- if anything in history had been different, different, how differently we win might have turned out, and it makes um, a sadistic killer into one of the best heroes in this storyline. And the other one is Shiro, who uh, Sunfire has been so damaged by seeing his entire country essentially slaughtered. You know, very few people left alive, and he was forced to watch, and then he was compelled to go down into the pools of blood and be transformed into a horseman of apocalypse. Um, and so he's got the mind kind of control that goes along with that process of being altered by Apocalypse. Uh, his powers are turned up again, cranked up beyond reason. He is the living embodiment of the atomic bomb, essentially, what the atomic fires that Japan was bathed in in World War II when that concluded, and then saw the end, essentially, of his nation. Like, so much pathos for this character, and he's tr- 
trying to hold it all together and he's trying to make a better world and he's fighting for humans against apocalypse and he's seen these things happen to his countrymen and he doesn't want it to ever happen to anyone else and, and he, at multiple times he's like a tipping ticking time bomb you see him in the series trying to hold in his flames and trying to hold in his emotions and he just unleashes on people um, every once in a while and even at one point the X-Men have to turn against him to stop his flames from killing everyone in the first issue a Magneto has to create this arm of metal to hold him in before he burns everyone to death so he's very much this is characters that you want to see to be a hero. You want him to be able to find redemption, but um, all he is is just this oven that just continually, you know, burns up uh, everything around him. So, uh, Sabretooth and Sunfire, uh, both the way they were designed, but also the way they were written, I, they really stuck with me. And it was only later that I was becoming, you know, becoming more interested in seeing what Wolverine was doing in Weapon X. And I, I love that Weapon X series. I think it's it's done really well, and there's great romance there, and, and a few other characters that maybe I'll talk about later. But those are my main two. Hmm. It's interesting about, um, like, how do you... Sabretooth is not a hero, obviously, in the Marvel Universe. He's very much like a, just a, a monster, an animal. Do you think? Well, until you act, until you access him, and then he. Uh. <laughs> oh, God. But, but I guess my question is: Like, do you think the version that we of Sabretooth that we get and the way that he's written, do you think it makes sense? Like, it actually honors what that character is and has been in the past, or do you think it's too much of a of a right turn? Like, do you think it makes sense that he becomes that way? Well, I mean, that's. The argument in the, sh- in, the, in the show and in the comic series has always been that there is no difference between Victor Creed and James Howlett. That, you know, it's been – at once it was rumored that they were brothers and then they weren't brothers, but then they're still related. And, you know, every – every on his birthday, he used to come and say happy, you know, uh, happy birthday, Runt, and he said he was his father. Like, the connection between them two is very clear. Uh, and the message seems to have been that, you know, w- when you think of the philosophy, the question of nurture versus nature – uh, this, the nature of Sabretooth and Wolverine are the, is the same. Their nurturing seems to have been different. Um, you know, uh, they clearly they're two different individuals, but their paths are different. And Sabretooth is the dark reflection of what Wolverine will become if he doesn't stop the Berserker rage inside of him. They, they're animals and they're men. They're, that, there's that duality between them. And the struggle that Wolverine has always had is: do I do I feed the animal inside of me, or do I feed the man? And you know, villains or opponents of him have always said that you are an animal. You're nothing but an animal. And we locked you up in Weapon X, and we beat you, and we starved you, and we cut on you and we shot you and we you know, we did things to you that would kill a human uh, a normal human and you're just an animal that's left the human inside of you is dead and his path to redemption has been I'm more than that I can be more than that Sabretooth was the one that these same things seemed to happen to right he was also in Weapon X he also fought in World War II he also saw death and murder and destruction and something about his path led him to uh, embrace the animal so I don't think it's a huge stretch to say what happens in a world where something dramatic changes in, in, in the history of the world and Sabretooth never went to the Weapon X program, per se, perhaps, I don't know. Or certain things that happened in his life, maybe the abuse he received as a child, that that's, it's, it's implied that he was abused heavily by his parents, mm-hmm. um, never came to pass and, and he was able to make other choices. If Wolverine and Sabretooth really are two sides of the same coin – I don't think it's that much of a hard right. I mean, the idea is that they are the same um, in their natures. And so, you know, perhaps the different nurture, he, he had another chance at, at life. Hmm. Uh, what spoils that for me a bit, though, is that one Chronicles issue where he 
and that maybe it's the horseman influence, I don't know, but he is, you know, there gutting the military, and, like, the same Victor Creed you know, and then all of a sudden... But isn't he a horseman? It, and, well, it's not what I signed up for, and now I'm going to be a good guy. Is he a horseman there, or is it just regular Victor? No, he's a... Well, he, he, he's, he's with the, uh, they call themselves the, the Heralds of Apocalypse at that point, so it's unclear exactly what argumentation he might have had. Well, then, Paul, just throw a monkey wrench in everything I just said, because uh, I don't remember reading that uh, very well. I think I even glanced over the Chronicles. So if that is true, if that's like that, then that really undermines, like, (laughs) I feel like that undermines everything Lebdell did in uh, (laughs) in his book, because that really does seem like a crappy transformation. Well, and although, yeah, if we take out what X-Men Chronicles gives us, I mean, there's enough hints in astonishing as to, you know, that at some point, Sabretooth came over to the kind of the side of the angels, worked with Wolverine. They didn't necessarily like each other, and that's how he ended up saving Clarice, who was Blink. So that's I guess, goes a long way to kind of showing the relationship and, and how this Victor Creed is different, because, you know, he went back, he believed in something, he saved someone, and now he's become a father figure. Like, and Yeah, and Clarice is his jubilee. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Which, as a kid, I didn't. I wouldn't have thought of that at all. But yeah, as an adult reading it, you're like, "Oh, well, of, of course!" So, like, if he's just this other version of Wolverine, then we got to give him a female psychic. <laughs> That's just how um, it works. And and Shadowcat is essentially Wolverine's same thing, same his protege, but she's darker because Wolverine almost is darker in this, isn't it? He's he's more animalistic in this series. Oh yeah, well, when we get him introduced to the X Men, even like he's he's much more brash and and darker than he ever was uh, in the original comics, because like, it's just a different world anyway. Uh, and Jean is darker, too, so she's super hot for that. <laughs> she's super hot for that, yes. Actually, now, now that I'm looking at X-Men Chronicles, uh, Kandra is listed as a herald of Apocalypse. You have Gideon, but then you also have War, Death, and then Sabretooth. So he's not an actual... like They're just mentioned as the horseman, not like the four horsemen. But he's wearing the shoulder pads, right? So it does. Maybe he was brainwashed a little. I don't know. I'm trying to save this. this <laughs> Paul, just, out, but Paul just, just yeah. <laughs> Paul kind of ruined uh, everything that you were uh, going for there. Well, let me look at this. Let me look at these pages and see what I don't know. Keep you guys do keep doing something else. So maybe Paul can talk about a character or two that really he really enjoys. <laughs> Paul, fair enough. Um, yeah, I've I've never been a fan of bad guys going good. It, it's. You know, unless it was laid out in such a way that it made total sense, but um, it's never been a, a big thing for me. Um, Iceman's probably my standout character, just the way that, you know, even looking at this, um, the early issues where he's still the Bobby you know and love, he's still, like, when Rogue shows up, he, he ice slides in there, oh, look at the new recruit, and she's hot, and, like, he's just same old Bobby, and then this war and this chaos and this destruction and and whatever happened to this world we're seeing on this map now has happened and it's transformed him into this um this darker individual um and he he's almost striding the line of he's now uncovered how powerful he can become and has become almost um drunk with that power and will he take it like it, he's doing these these things, these evil things. He's he's, he's he's riding a very fine line of still being a hero and fighting for the right reasons, but doing it in such a way that what you would 
look at him and go, is he really doing this the, the right way? For, like, you know, is, the, the answer is probably the means, I suppose. Um, and then you see him, like, return in that, that X-Force run that was recent by Remender, right? And he came in and he was, you know, almost Dark Iceman, right? Um, so it's inter it'd be interesting to see if they had, you know, a book or a diversion to see, you know, how the original six ended up where they are in, in a certain degree, you know, without having Xavier cobble them together. Like, why is, you know, Hank McCoy this this dark evil mad scientist what mm. what turned him in that direction uh all of a sudden was it sinister was it um you know or was, it, was he just like that in this universe to begin with um because he was so dejected by his his mutation mm. um or so curious about it and that turned him mad um with all experiments on himself so i, I guess i guess Derek Beast would be another character that would be it's very fascinating to see that that big twist, you know, I can relate back to, to Beast Wars and, and Transformers, where mm. you had Rhinox, who was the most gentle, heroic, stuff, smell the flowers, maximal, and then they farted on the whole thing and made it Beast Machines, and he becomes this, this evil villain all of a sudden, like a total 180, and it made no sense for him to be this, this evil tank dude all of a sudden, um, just as a plot twist device, it, mm. it, it just... It bothered me. I even even the voice actor questioned him about it, and like for him as a voice actor, it was just fun having that conversion of the character. But the fandom just despises the fact that how do you have such a heroic, pure character and turn him so evil? How does that even work? Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I, I spend. I, I do love that interpretation of him as well. The fact that he's been held back by his lack of ambition his whole life. Uh, he's his goofball and. Uh, this is an example of when you put someone in an oven, how they either, you know, they either survive or die. And uh, this whole world is this, this big um, furnace of, of survival of the fittest. And so you, by pushing him to his utmost, it made me think, like, yeah, control over the molecules of, of oxygen and and being able to – and hydrogen and being able to, to take moisture out of the air and – and fuse it into ice and, and change its temperature and move it through the states of, of uh, states of matter. That's really powerful. Like when you think about it, he says at one point, "I could freeze the inside, the water inside your brain, and kill you right now." That's actually what he can do, can't he? He can make anything water. Well, become the human body states. is made of, you know, how much? What's the percentage of water? Eighty percent. Right. Yeah. yeah. And how much water or how much hydrogen and oxygen is in our environment, in our, in, in our atmosphere. So he is a godlike character. You think about the most powerful forces. You've got gravity, you know, um, which Graviton and characters like that can be incredibly powerful once you reboot them in something like Thunderbolts. And then you've got Magneto, who is rightly the one of the most powerful characters. These are, these are essential forces of, of, of nature, of, of the universe, and then manipulating matter. Of course, Molecule Man is incredibly powerful. Iceman is like a baby Molecule Man. Yeah, yeah. Because a lot of the other characters you read through here, like, what happens to, to Cyclops and Havoc, they make sense. Like, you can see yeah. that direction happening with them, and, and it's not far out of reach of what, how they become uh, rogues in that boat. Uh, Gambit makes sense to be the kind of Robin Hood of the, of the group. Um, you know, so a lot of the other things make sense. So the, the characters that showcase the, the biggest changes are probably the ones that you're going to gravitate towards yeah. the most in this series. And that happens in a lot of these ones. Like, we, you can poo-poo uh, Age of X all you want, 
but I thought I, <laughs> I thought the way they they made Rogue this kind of oh, what was the, what was her name again? Um, crap. I know what you mean. Though. I can't remember. The yeah, name either. but she she had touched and absorbed so many powers that like she was this. Um, you know, the sea of abilities that she would all had in this library of, of, of powers that she had to choose from to do kind of anything. Like it wasn't tapestry, now. was it? It wasn't tapestry. Look it up. You can go talking, but it's your turn, Adam. Who stood out to you? Uh, I really like Cyclops um, because he's. It's interesting because we, we see. He's a traditionally heroic character. He starts off in kind of a more villainous place, and then we get this kind of see him having a, a struggle of conscience. And Cyclops is not necessarily the most interesting character. Usually, uh, a lot of people find him tough to read or care about because he's just not necessarily that well written. Or although now I would argue with the most several recent years, ever since like Utopia, that he's I find him very very interesting. I find when you kind of put the screws to him, he really becomes interesting. And the boring Cyclops is the, is the Boy Scout who essentially just maintained his leadership of a team that was fine. It's when the team starts getting destroyed that he becomes this amazing extremist and trying to protect his, his lineage. Like mm-hmm. That, I find, is really, really cool. And the, the first inklings of a really interesting Cyclops, I, I agree with you, Adam, is in this storyline. It's Factor X Cyclops that makes the uh, Cyclops of Utopia and of AVX and of you know Uncanny X-Men in, in the all-new all new Marvel. It's, it's this Cyclops that makes that Cyclops possible. No, that's very true, and it's nice to see this conflicted guy who kind of everything he's been raised to do, he rebels against that. Um, a little bit like a, a teenager, though, because like there's a girl involved, and like it's kind of like a romance comic without any meaning to be. Uh, everything that kind of Cyclops goes through, um, because uh, especially that finally seeing Gene again is really what kind of gets him to finally be kind of out and about with wanting to you know save. Uh, people and, and be a hero. Um, I just thought, you know, he's he's well written um, because it's obviously not an easy decision for him to make. And I also really liked how Havoc is written because this is Havoc's not necessarily that interesting a character either. Um, I've written a, read a lot of uh, Havoc stuff through X Factor and Mutant X, and later on he gets more interesting. But up until this point, I would argue like he's a, he was never that interesting a character. Like. And he had some really weird character beats in the past where, like, he was manipulated by Madeline Pryor. Like, stuff that didn't really promote him as a character, more just as a as a chess piece that writers used to do things with. Whereas this, I felt like it was interesting to kind of see, finally getting to see him be an asshole because of him feeling that Scott's always the one that everyone likes. Scott's the one who's given all the authority. Scott's the one who gets to do everything, and no one gives me any credit. So, being able to finally see this guy, this is what the, what Havoc should be. Like, in, we almost get to see a weird watered down version throughout the comics because they never let him get kind of access that dark side. The fact that if you were always put a you know put down, and everyone kind of was always looking up to your brother, and your brother's the best and the first, and all this stuff, you're gonna have a giant chip on your shoulder. So I always liked that this version of Havoc wasn't afraid to be that. And he's actually very multi-layered. Like, he has a relationship with a human. He's trying to be the most, you know, following the right by the book, everything that Apocalypse wants to do. And yet, he's also consorting with a human and, and, and ends up having, a, like, she gets pregnant with his child. Like, that's a huge deal that this guy who's trying to do everything that Apocalypse is, trying to be the biggest, baddest, uh, still ends up being a little bit, you know, vulnerable, and then doesn't he kill Scarlet? Like I can't remember, but doesn't, doesn't he? Kill I think her? so. There's a tragedy there, isn't there? Absolutely. It's like he's so 
wanting to be the guy, then Apocalypse would want to make a prelate because he wants to be the prelate now that Sinister's flown the coop, that he would give up everything. Like, nothing matters to him but this weird obsession with power and being better than what he perceives his brother to be. So when he finds out his brother's a traitor, he thinks it's the best day in the world because now he gets to beat up his brother. Like, that is what matters to him. It's just, it's such a weird version of that character, but I think it... I'm almost surprised that 616 Havoc didn't become more like that. Because, I mean, how many times is everyone always saying that Cyclops is awesome and that Havoc's not? Like, like that's, just, that's a huge well, part well, of the character. Did, they did make him make the new version of the Brotherhood soon after this. Um, that's kind of the direction that he went just before, just after Onslaught, right? He becomes a Brotherhood leader. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, with actually, that sweet jetpack of his. Yes, that sweet. It's not even a jetpack. It's like the two little like jet things on his. I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. It's interesting too, but that we get this version of Havoc here, and then right after this, when we get back to the six one six, we get a Havoc who's out of control, whose powers he can't rely on, as he starts blowing up all over the place. So it's just interesting that where that character would go afterwards, and then the darker road they go down, kind of is, is reminiscent of what type of Havoc we got here. He's a giant asshole, as I said. Giant, I say, raging dick, raging dick. Yeah, but I stand by that assessment. He is like. Um, I also, I, I was a huge. I like the comic. I actually think Nate Gray is really interesting. Uh, I know you're not a huge fan, Nate, but um, I think he's well written in that. You know, it's this guy dealing with having all this power, but not really knowing how to use it. Um, having been outside of the world for much of his life, like, he was always in the pens, so now he's out and about, so he's kind of experiencing the life that's out there, and realizing the power he has to maybe be able to change that, and meeting, a, and, this, you know, building a family, having a family that he's around, having a romantic interest in Siren, like, it's kind of interesting to kind of see that character kind of almost being like kind of the teen book of the bunch, considering it's a character, he's a reboot of a character who's an old man, um, and getting to just kind of see him go through these these trials, losing a father figure, um, confronting why he's here, and learning that there is a grander purpose for him. I really like that book. The art sometimes gets in the way. Um, Scrooge's artwork gives everyone a lot of um, extra lines in the face that makes everyone look kind of lumpy uh, and super old. Um, but the story behind it, I think, is really interesting to kind of see you know, what, what is Nate at the end of the day. I've always liked him. Obviously, I like Sabretooth as well. Um, they gave, Lobdell really gave him a lot of love because um, you get to see this real badass version of Sabretooth. Really, he is just Wolverine. Like, that's basically what they make him here. Um, but, like, a really cool Wolverine. And that relationship with Wildchild, I didn't know for years that Wildchild was this other character who is Weapon Alpha and all this other stuff. But, like, I always just knew him as the guy who was half the time, you know, Sabretooth was just carrying him around and then was like, Go! Like, that was just the version of the character I knew. Uh, Sunfire, obviously, was awesome. Um, i trying to think of some of the... Um, Beast is, you know, a great one as well. There's a reason why they kept that character going. Like, the fact that Beast got, you know, kind of came over to the Marvel Universe, the fact that we got Holocaust again, like, he was a really cool villain. Um, unfortunately, the minute he got to the Marvel Universe, he never really got to reclaim what he was here. Um, we get no. so much more in Ultimate Universe, right? All bets are off. You can do what you want. You can slaughter all you want, kill all you yeah. want, because there's you don't have to worry going back to it at some point or True. fixing things. You can go cross as many lines you need to do, and it stays where yeah. it was. Whereas in the Prime Universe, you're handcuffed by the fact that you can't kill people, cross that lines, and slaughter things because there's how do you get back from that, right? That's true. 
um, Colossus is given a lot of good writing as well because, it, as Nate said before, everything is amped up to 11 here. So Colossus in the regular universe is obsessed with protecting his sister. That's, I mean, not to an insane degree, but it's generally something that's on his mind at all times. So here we have a version who would literally rather his students die than anything happen to his sister. Like, he's so single-minded. At one point, I believe he kills Shadowcat, does he not? Like, doesn't he, he step stomp- I think he, he stomps on someone. He, I think he steps on a shadow cat here. Like he is so he shatters Iceman, and then let me see here. Yeah, I think he does kill her. He's so determined to protect uh, his sister that he literally would like walk through his wife. So his wife believes that she won't actually hurt her, so she doesn't phase. I'm pretty sure this is what happens. And so then she gets stepped on by her husband and, ki- and killed. Like this is a seriously messed up version but again taking character traits we know yeah and just saying in this world it's worse uh so if someone's more heroic they're even more heroic in some instances if someone is this single-minded to protect someone they'll do it at at the detriment of someone else who matters a lot to them it's so crazy um but really interesting at the same time i mean x-men omega is kind of a giant mess uh, of so many things kind of happening at the same time. There's so many things it wants to achieve in that in that um, that story, but like the the amount of murder and destruction that happens in that last chapter is uncanny. Like you have like like obviously pun intended, but like you have you know I I can't remember the, the sequence of events, but it's nuts. It's, isn't it that like Gene dies and then Cyclops is so angry about it, so he murders Havoc or like it's this weird chain reaction of just people murdering each other. Like, this is, because it's the end of, of a storyline like this, and it's all alternate realities, you can just throw shit at the wall and yeah. blow up everyone. Like, yeah, it's, Havoc murders Gene, Cyclops is pissed off about it, he blows off his visor, but then I guess, doesn't actually do anything with that, blows off his visor so bad, but he still gets murdered by Havoc. Havoc then gets gutted by Wolverine. This is two pages. Like, this is just, like, domino effect of murder. Like, this is crazy stuff. And this also has, like, again, a, a, my, one of my favorite scenes. And I have a few favorite scenes in this in this series, but I'm sure this is your, some of your favorites as well. Where Magneto, who has been beaten down, he's been at the mercy of Apocalypse. Apocalypse, who came and stole his son, also took up Magneto. He's been torturing Magneto in his you know private chambers, and now Magneto only really has his this black onesie and his helmet. So he assembles a costume by taking all the metal around him and making it into this kind of piece of armor, this kind of, you know, cobbled together armor, and then fights Apocalypse, um, and, you know, tears him in half. That scene that, you know, very much stands out, right, where he says, why won't you fight back? This is this is no time to disappoint me. I've been waiting. And he and Magneto says, I can't fight back. I'm concentrating. And you see Magneto's hands extend in the middle of, of Apocalypse's torso, and he just tears him in half. And again, Apocalypse is is a machine. He's in a machine body. He's a man inside of that, so Magneto just used the metal and ripped him in half. I really don't think that Apocalypse should ever be able to fight Magneto, because, you know, if you're going to be made of metal, you don't fight the Master Magnus. <laughs> Generally, this is true. Does make you wonder why he didn't do this years earlier? Well, I guess the proximity too. Magneto is weaker. He's much weaker. Yeah. And I guess you could argue for my no prize that the celestial metal is a little bit more, Dense? you know, it's it's denser or it's of a new, it's a, it's of a different construction, and so Magneto might not have a handle on it. But in this proximity, with this adrenaline running through him for the fate of the world, he was able to do it. 
Um, not a favorite moment, but a weird moment in X-Men Omega. Um, it's always jumped out at me. Um, there's a weird moment where Blink does not act like herself. Um, Dark Beast is about to kind of mess with something, and then Quicksilver messes with his technology to transport Beast somewhere. And as after this happens, there's this weird panel of um, Blink like with her arms out, thrusting her chest forward, really like looking like she's getting off on something. And then the dialogue is, uh, so much for seeing that furball ever again. You play dirty. I love it. And I'm like, what is happening? Is this X-Men Omega? This isn't X-Men Omega. It sounds like a Roger Cruz thing to do. Well, I mean, like, but uh, I think the art might have been by Roger Cruz, but, like, even, like, the scripting is so hackneyed, and it's just like, we're, this is not the character I read in the other four issues at all. Like, that other character was this girl who was uh, coming into her own, felt sheltered and, and taken care of by Creed, and then he got, like, brutally injured, and then she really becomes her, like, a, like a very powerful force. Like, I would say, in a lot of cases, Astonishing X-Men is, like, this journey of this girl becoming this woman who's able to take the fight to this the scariest bad guy that she knows and isn't and doesn't flinch. Like, that first page of Astonishing X-Men number four, of her just, like, calling out a holocaust, and it's this great kind of silhouette. Um, like, that's... It's her journey. And then you have a page like this, and it's like, no! This, this, yeah, what? Where is that? Yeah. Where is this coming from? There's, there's unfortunately, when you have a lot of cooks in, in the kitchen, you're mm. going to have stuff like this happen. And as I said, X Men Omega has so much going on, so many it's different characters. In there, right? Yeah, and again, like it's just murder after murder. And the page after that weird, horny, uh, blank shot, um, you have the death of Ileana, where again she just gets stomped on by Colossus. He then freaks out that he's no, that's Shadow Cat. gets stomped sorry, on. Sorry, what did I say? Iliana. Sorry, not Iliana. Because he wants to save Iliana, he destroys Shadowcat. I said destroys like I was on the X-Men cartoon. Yeah, um, very good. Good censoring. <laughs> instead of killing, it's destroy. I don't um, know how Alex is able to kill Cyclops by using his powers. They're they're immune to each other's blasts, so I don't understand what that is. Well, things are different here. They got tweaked by... <laughs> no, no, they, got, they, they, they mentioned it. That's a good thing we know our powers don't hurt each other. But he kills him here. I get that, but dialogue earlier in in, in another issue, they mentioned... And the, and the stupid... Um, when Corsair comes back and he's all brooded up and they had to kill their father. Oh, yeah. Their real father. They, they mention it. Specifically. Well, I guess... I don't, I don't like all that addendum stuff. All the addendum stuff ruins the series for me. It makes Victor's transformation seem stupid and... Well, that's not it, an addendum. At least that happened at the same time. They kill Corsair. I don't... All that extra stuff. But we don't need that stuff. But you're right. It doesn't Sorry, make any... Sorry, I keep bringing up all this crap that you don't like, Nate. I'll stop doing it. <laughs> you're ruining it. No, you're not ruining it for me. <laughs> there is... I mean, X-Men Omega has, again, a lot of weird moments, a lot of good moments. I did like... Uh, it's very much on the nose, obviously. But the, the narration after Gene dies... And uh, Logan's like holding her, and he's he's remembering a myth of old as he's holding her above a beautiful bird that was so worshipped it would rise reborn from death's ashes. But though he desperately wants to believe otherwise, he knows that his beloved Jean is no phoenix. I'm like, yeah, I get it. Like, it's it's really, really heavy-handed, yeah. very heavy-handed. But that's also the '90s. Like, that's it's taking that Clementian dialogue and, and narration and really amping it up to eleven, which is really what this whole storyline is: is everything you know about the X-Men kind of flipped on its head, and then brought to 11. Like, it's so crazy. And again, the death that happens here, like, you have Gambit basically kills Colossus. 
And Colossus, I guess, yeah. drowns? Like, I don't what? even know why he's in water. Like He uses a few cards to throw it. Like, everyone becomes weaker here. Everyone who could never be destroyed in this battle becomes, like, he's he's armored up and, and Gambit throws a few cards at his back, killing him. After he stomps on, after Colossus stomps on Shadowcat. So, none of it makes any sense. No, unless unless they don't quite show up. Maybe he was turning into human at that time. With kinetic, Maybe. Kinetic knives more than cards in this game. And yeah, that's true. Right. But yeah, and this stuff just happens. Um, I did like. Um, there's a. I think it's in X Men Four, but uh, X Men does get to at least meet his parents and kind of knows who they are. So again, there's a little bit of that going on as well. Um, I did like the whole kind of when it all kind of comes together and you have um, uh, Ileana and Destiny and uh, the Amicron Crystal, and they actually do the kind of the time travel. And with Bishop, it is kind of nice to kind of see everything kind of come together. Not that it all makes sense per se, right? But it is one of those scenes you're like, oh, cool! It's all kind of coming together. And even seeing kind of Bishop in the past punching himself, which again, so overwrought um, dialogue. I love it. Like, you know, remember this moment. It's just like, man, like they're really hammering this hard. Hammering this hard, giant dicks. You're just raging dicks, I should say. Um, the, one of the moments that uh, I'm thinking about too is uh, Amazing X-Men Volume uh, Volume Four, Issue Four, where they find the source of this Madrai cult, and it's Jamie Madrox. He's diaper? been left in this room in a diaper with a bunch of little child's toy, children's toys, in a shirt and a diaper, drooling and blabbering to himself, and they've essentially locked him up in this room. And they just hit him or touch him whenever they need a new duplicate. And then they take the duplicate and brainwash them and add them to the Madurai cult. That was quite a shocking revelation. Like, what they had done to this character that is this smart-talking, you know, interesting, uh, uh, happy-go-lucky kind of character from X-Factor. And he's this drooling... Uh, really been uh, uh, tortured and abused. It's it's extremely abusive and disturbing to see a grown adult drooling and sitting in a diaper. That was kind of a shocking moment from Age of Apocalypse for me. Well, I mean, when I, fr- I remember when I first read it, like I had I hadn't put together that the Madri was just Madrox. Like, like maybe I was a dumb kid, or I didn't actually know who Multiple Man was. To be fair, yeah, but the Madri, I've heard that term before used for other. Religious cults or whatever else, so it wasn't like out of the ordinary to not make connection to Madrix. That's true. And that was also the book where Abyss was the main character villain, and I love this interpretation of this. Well, he's not really his own character; he's created here. He's just his own character. Yeah. And then they bring him in the six one six universe, but he's essentially this being who is made of almost paper or ribbon, and he can kind of like the you can you hear him before you see him. This this flittering like noise of paper or ruffling ribbons, mm-hmm. and he opens up his body and can kind of cast these ribbons about and grab you and suck you in and. He's this horrifying, nightmarish creature. I do appreciate the the horror elements that are in this world as well. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and again, like issue that that issue there, issue four of Amazing X Men, such a great uh, showcase for Banshee too. Which yes, like I, I mean, at the time, I didn't really know Banshee from anything. Like he wasn't, he was in Generation X, but I wasn't reading that. Like so I, I didn't even know who this guy was. And great interpretation of the costume. Um, uh, man, Kubert is so good. And again, uh, his brother, 
uh, Adam in making the world seem so high science fiction in Weapon X. Uh, that first sequence where I think it's Weapon X, is it issue one? Yeah, it's issue one, where they go and they attack the seawall. Uh, Gene and Logan have to get into North America, and they have to cross the seawall, the Wall of Apocalypse, and they're riding this Sentinel. And the Sentinels in this world are you know, quite a big, a big redesign. Mm-hmm. They have more of like a human face, it seems, in this kind of turquoise helmet and gray body, and they're taking the Sentinel through the seawall, and the design of the seawall, it's very, very otherworldly, you know, high-concept science fiction. The walls kind of jutting up out of the ocean with these platforms, and there's spikes and odd angles everywhere, and cannons and energy guns, and uh, just both of those brothers did an incredible job shaping this world. There's not a lot of blank backgrounds. A lot of the, the background contains mm-hmm. technology or architecture that you, you know, you're not used to seeing. It's uh, a, a lot of this captivated, again, my imagination that made me think about uh, other worlds, and this truly was an epic story they were telling. What about characters that you you think got kind of the the short end of the stick here, or didn't quite get the exposure that maybe they deserved? I mean, Psylocke doesn't show up at all. No, she's well, she she does, doesn't she? As Betsy, uh, or she dead? I think she shows up in the later on in the tenth anniversary um, miniseries. I don't think she shows up in the original. Okay, it's kind of well, when you think about. Which is interesting, considering she's one of the four mutants that get thrust back in time in Legion Quest. Yeah. It is weird. She's just not around at all. And even Storm doesn't really get a lot of focus. No. Like, she's in, she's there, but she, and like, it's interesting too, because like, you have these, not, they're not large casts in Astonishing and Amazing, but you definitely have kind of the breakout characters that they spend time on, and the characters who are just there. Yeah. Like, Quicksilver and Storm don't really get a lot to do. At all. Um, they're lovers, which uh, is also weird. Who? They're lovers. Oh, yeah, yeah, there's not, not even a lot given to that. No. Like, they're barely, like, affectionate no. with each other. Um, and I guess uh, we're kind of downplaying, too, that Rogue's focus and being kind of a leader of an X-Men team was a big deal at the time because she had never been considered to be kind of an X-Men leader. Now, we're used to that concept now because, obviously, she was a leader here, that she was a leader um, during Revolution back in the day. <laughs> Not that that was a great version, but she was a leader of a team. So was Gambit, actually, at the time. Um, she's been more of a leader in the last, like, 15 years, or sorry, 10 years. So we're more used to seeing her that way. But here, this was a big departure um, and she really had her shit together as yep. well. Like she's a character who was not a mess at all. Uh, she was married, had a kid, um, had a little bit more control of her powers, I guess we think. Um, she also had magnetic powers. Like there's she more. Her Polaris, Polaris, right? Yeah. So the story is now that we're on the topic of Rogue, uh, we're going to get to reproduction in a second because I want to go there. Um, <laughs> so Rogue touches Polaris and absorbs her powers. Yes. And eventually Polaris ends up at the holding pens in Sinister's Fortress. And um, Alex becomes interested in her because, you know, he's got that history. And they're like, this is the daughter of Magneto. Um, is that not true only in the Marvel Universe? Isn't that become a thing where she's later added to being a daughter of Magneto around House of M? Okay, so that's a good question. So they've gone back and forth on that for a long time. But as of the time that this was published, she definitely wasn't Magneto's daughter. And no. actually, they mention here that she isn't Magneto's daughter, but she just thinks that she is. But uh, but 
isn't that interesting, right? Like, this is the kind of a thing where they're doing it here first, and then the 616 universe kind of... Okay, so anyway, she Rogue takes her powers from Polaris. She ends up in these pens, and uh, they say she used to be an alpha. So apparently, what, Rogue stole so much of her power that she mis-marveled her? She, yeah, she yeah, Carol danvers her? Yeah, absolutely. She, she made her this weak, pathetic creature. Um, which is really horrible. And again, like Magneto apparently has not come to rescue this poor girl, even though if she is under the illusion that she's her do- his daughter. But you'd think that okay. Anyway, so then Rogue gets these magnetic powers that let her essentially mimic the Ms. Marvel powers. This is how I understand it. You can correct me if I'm wrong. She can defy gravity because she's using magnetism, and it says that she's able to use her new magnetic powers to unleash a power inside of herself she did not before understand or know. And then it says that as she's punching someone really hard. So she's using her magnetism powers to grant herself a semblance of invulnerability, of super strength, and of flight. So it's really like they're giving her the Ms. Marvel powers. And then that's correct, right? Yeah. But it's magnetism. And then that is why Rogue is able to touch Magneto and have a child with him. Because they can use the magnetic fields that they have to stop her from sucking his life force? Is that what it is? Yes. Because the first thing I saw when I'm like, well, Rogue can't touch anyone. And like, oh, by the way, she has a baby. I'm like, how did they do it? Positive and negative and the opposite attract and you're good. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Did he just like fire his DNA into her with a magnetic beam? Like, how is that possible? Is it used the old-fashioned way? And if you're using two magnetic fields, are you going to get that friction there? Or is it just kind of like a – I don't know what's going on there, but – that was a question I had as a teenager. It's still unresolved. It's still the greatest question of our time. Still unresolved. <laughs> oh, God. Well, the end result is there, so I'm pretty sure it's resolved. I think uh, he's shooting it. <laughs> he's firing it like an electron beam. <laughs> like those blobs in you've seen X-Men 2, you turn those... Uh, Aww. Yeah. I like to think of it as that episode of Simpsons. I think it's like season two or whatever, where Marge gets taken up into the mothership and they inseminate her. Remember that? And she's like, he's like, look over there. And she looks away, and he takes a gun out and goes, wait, 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 wait. And like this beam comes out of the gun, and she turns back around and goes, what was that? He's like, nothing. He's like, well, that was short. What are you implying? <laughs> remember that? Remember that episode of Simpsons? You know, vaguely. one of the Halloween ones, but I think. Yeah, yeah, it is. Wow. <laughs> so that's is that, we had to go there. Well, I don't know how he did it, but maybe he uses shaving next. Like, what, where are you going with this? Well, we know how that works. He fires his eye beams off of a mirror, but. Uh, well, no, not just any mirror. It has to be a reflective surface of his original uh, ship that brought him to Earth. Uh, yeah, otherwise he'd just melt right through it, wouldn't he? Yep. <laughs> any other questions you got for us, Paul? I can't. I, can't, I still can't justify the same with one, Because uh, I went back and I read it again, and it's true. He is gutting these soldiers, and he says that he, he you know, essentially guts them with his, his ferocity. And then when they, he realizes his mission is to launch these missiles, these, these missiles on, on, um, on people, he says... That wasn't the plan. I don't agree to that. So he's okay with killing some human guards, but he's not okay with, I guess, starting a huge... Yeah. Yeah. Um, does that really demonstrate that he's become a new person or that he, was, you know, he wasn't the old Sabretooth? I, I don't know. That's, it is true. It's a, it's a weakened part of it. But um, I guess we can't answer all your questions, man. Sorry. <laughs> An interesting character who is definitely downplayed, and it's interesting now looking back, is, is Deadpool. I mean, Deadpool does show up as Dead Man Wade, but doesn't actually get... He doesn't feel like any version of Deadpool at oh, all. But him, him then is nothing what he is. Well, now. I know, but he was already starting to... 
I mean, obviously Joe Kelly's book hadn't come out yet. That was still a couple of years off. But yeah. I mean, he had still started been making appearances. He'd been in Wolverine. Like you were starting to get ideas of him. He they were they were starting to develop what we would come to know as Deadpool. He wasn't. But he was definitely there. darker. Like he, this Dead Man Wade is definitely more like the mid '90s Wade Wilson because he's he chatters, but he's not goofy chattering or fourth wall breaking yet he's just really really dark he's a sinister killer and he also happens to talk a lot like that's kind of more in keeping with what this way dead man wade is and he, he blades out of his hands for sure <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah his mouth his mouth wasn't sewn shut yeah, so okay. that's true that weird goggles on for some reason <laughs> well, that's the mimic his mask right yeah um a character what who nightcrawler in this in this uh, series here nightcrawler what's her two cents on him i he, he gets he's kind of, like, relegated, right, to one issue of Astonishing X-Men, and then uh, the rest of it, he's in Excalibur. Yeah, and I feel like he's written well in Astonishing, and then I don't think, I don't really buy, I don't, I don't really enjoy him as a main character in Excalibur. I think that's maybe my problem with the book, is that I like certain characters in Excalibur. Actually, I really liked how Doug Ramsey was written, how how Mystique is written and how she kind of operates and her feelings towards destiny. I really I love how Mystique is written and I love how she's drawn. She looks awesome. She's got this giant 80s hair. She looks so cool. <laughs> um, I love this version of Kane Marco. Like, I think he's so cool as, as a guy who was kind of... He hated Charles and now Charles is dead, so he... He's a, he confronts something within himself that he didn't even think he had, and he becomes this this monk. And I think that's just an, it's such a fascinating direction to go with a character who's, you know, if you th- look at who's left in the Marvel Universe at this point, he, he I mean, on his own, he could really, you know, stand up to Apocalypse. Not this version of him, though, because he's, they're able to kind of give him, what, a lobotomy pretty easy? Um, I thought it's an aneurysm that he has yeah, trying to yes. reconcile his two natures or something. Yeah, I think that's what it is. It was an aneurysm. So he, Which he kinda, is kind of a lame way to kill him. It is, but it, it's an interesting kind of way to go that this this guy really turned his back on everything that we know about Juggernaut. So again, you're taking a character that everyone kind of knows one way. as just Who's being, essentially a bully. Like in the Marvel Universe, he's just a bully. Yeah, yeah. and here he's a much deeper, more interesting character. Is he still using the Gemma Sidrak here, though? Well, he, he said he cannot be harmed. Like He's super powerful. And he is huge. So I would say yes. Yeah. But it goes against the whole Sidrak thing they talk about later. But sorry. Yeah. Because Sidorak, yeah, it's a de- it's a demon gem for people who want to feed their master, right? Yeah, but that's that's later, right? Up to this point, it was just a thing that gave you power. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, like, even they're like, "Kane, are you okay?" He's like, "I cannot be harmed." It was a hand launched rocket attack from the tall grass. Sinful, and I'm, like, I really like this development of this character as being this kind of pious religious guy who's really turned his back on anything uh, violent. When he, in theory, could be, if he had been accessing like his. You know, not necessarily accessing his powers, but being able to use his powers without feeling bad about it, he would have been a huge boon to the to the resistance, right? Like, right. So he's like the he's like the century before the century. He has all the power in the world, but he he doesn't want to use it for sure. Uh, Vanisher gets a cool uh, visual upgrade in this book. Uh, I believe it's uh, Amazing X Men number three. Uh, Vanisher's a lame character, no matter when he's from, um, but at least he's a little bit cooler here. Although, like we again, it's the '90s. Everyone has armor for no reason. I like Vanisher in um, X Force. I thought in the in the update for X Force, I think he's kind of cool. Yeah. Okay. Well, he 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 doesn't. Okay, I'll say this. He doesn't have a lot of good stories. So the fact that he has like two in the last <laughs> twenty five years isn't exactly Banner. Like that's um, point taken. Uh, you really don't like X Men, eh? Ah, oh, such a good book. I, I don't. 
hate him. I just it's the art that really turns me off. So I I yeah. really haven't really enjoyed it. Because and I kind of like the uh, the redesign on Sinister as well. Like he he again has the you know the dreads of not the dreads the ponytails. Like he he needs to have braided hair like everyone else. Like it's really the mad goatee. Yeah, it's really the fashion style of the of these books. Like they can't not do this. Oh well, yeah, it works. Oh for sure. Um, I think Epting is just obsessed with facial hair and long hair on men. He just really is into hair, and he's good at drawing hair. So why not go for it? I like the the Carol Danvers that we get in Weapon X. She's pretty cool. Yeah, she's just kind of like a commander of the uh, human human resistance. Mm-hmm. And, and I actually really enjoy the version of Gateway we get here because again. Complete 180 from the gateway we know. Because the gateway we know doesn't talk. Like he's this. He's in pajamas, the rock. Yeah. Whereas this, <laughs> this is kind of this, this is kind of a, a cool version of the character. Um, very different from anything else we'd ever had from a gateway version. Um, so I, I like that. I, again, I like the characters where they kind of went in a different direction, something different that we wouldn't have seen before, and, and we'll never see because the characters are so different. Which, again, that's something you really see in Gateway. Mm-hmm. And that is the strength of the what-ifs, right? And this is essentially a long, long what-if. Um, but, uh, you know, the, 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 this is also what I like about storytelling that doesn't rely on continuity, because it's one of the strengths of this book that they can kind of just do whatever they want. And some of it is incredibly weak, and some of it, is especially the end, where they just kill people for no reason, is because they can. But some of it is interesting conversations about characters and who they could be if things were different, or mm-hmm. um, you know, it's very cool, high-concept high, high concept science fiction ideas. So um, when Marvel, after Joe Quesada took over, and sort of moving in the direction of, look, arcs are going to be six issues instead of any issues you want. Like, usually one or two issues was an arc. Um, and so we're going to decompress storytelling, and we're going to not worry about continuity as much, and this drove Adam up the wall, um, for sure, because he, he loves very much this idea of this integrated universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but stories were done, and they were over, and they didn't have to depend on anything anymore, uh, which also became one of the strengths of, of the Ultimate Universe, as, as Paul, you brought up earlier. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I like these these storylines where you can just enjoy it for four months and then you can either keep reading X-Men and it doesn't matter or you can stop and you still enjoy that story mm-hmm. so I you know I'm glad they've continued the trend but I think like Adam you pointed out earlier there still is way too much focus on the next big event um, and I feel like events were spaced out a little bit more in 95 weren't they it may not be that they well I think they were a little bit more spaced out, but I think it's just also because the media has changed, because like now we hear about them so far in advance, and like Paul had mentioned earlier, we didn't really have solicits before. Like, not to the same degree. Like, now they're everywhere. Like, if I want to know what's happening in Aquaman or whatever in like three months, I can find out, and it's probably going to spoil a little bit of the stories that get up to that point. Um, we at, at this point, you didn't really have that type of idea. Um, maybe some of the retailers knew, but the fans didn't really know what was going on. We didn't know that far in advance, so um, you know it didn't. Now that they're in this constant kind of news cycle, and again, all the co- the, the big comic book companies know that there's a dwindling audience, so they have to really put the, put their content out there. They have to get out there early to kind of stimulate interest to make sure the retailers are buying in. Like the business of it feels like it's taken over a lot more. Um, and the internet has allowed it to do that so that there's less surprises, and that's why we know about all these events. But at, back at the time, the fact that they were killing off Xavier is a big deal, but you didn't know about it until like maybe the month it happened. 
Um, and then you had the Age of Apocalypse, but again, you didn't know exactly how long it was going to last. Um, I don't, like, none of these said four of four. Like, it was just the fourth issue. Oh, yeah. shit, it's, it's ending in Omega. Yeah. Now it's done. Maybe you got a checklist for that month as to books that relate to what you're yeah, buying. I was, exactly. I was Onslaught pretty much, right? I had mm-hmm. to, like, try and keep track of what book. Like, I find this Punisher issue for this impact that I didn't know. If I mm-hmm. make- yeah, I got that one, too. Yeah. I love that cover. Uh, one thing I want to point out about Excalibur, an odd sequence. So you had Shadow King takes over Mystique's body at one point, and then she turns into uh, Sabretooth, and she starts taunting uh, Kurt. And it's like, Kurt, boy, what's the matter? Doesn't little Kurt want to play? And you flip over, and out of context, it just sounds odd, given that you have uh, you have Kurt just saying, he's in my mother. It's like, Whoa! <laughs> See, like Sabretooth and Mystique, yeah, he was in her at one point, wasn't he? <laughs> you were just in the gutter all I, night I tonight, can't eh? help it, man. I don't like. There's, there's some awkward moments throughout. That's all. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of some other things. I'm, I'm flipping through. Man, I like. I love Epting's work on Factor X. Like, it's so dark and, and dirty. It, yes, I know, Paul. Dark and dirty. Dark and dirty. Um, um, I really enjoyed the conclusion again to Astonishing. I keep harping on it, uh, talking about it as you do with uh, Factor X, I guess. But because uh, those were the ones that uh, foremost stick out in our minds when we think about this, this series. But again, that conclusion where Rogue takes her team into the facility and they take on Holocaust and they're fighting them together, um, and uh, you know she tricks him by absorbing Morse powers and then. Mm-hmm. Um, they 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 mess with his mind and they like just hurt the synapses in his brain and they smash his cannon his opti- his atomic cannon and beat him almost down with an inch of his life and he barely escapes by the end. Um, you know, Morph having to turn into Charlie, her son, in order to talk her back out of giving up and losing hope in this battle and uh, you know that the, the art there is so clean by Madrera. Oh, you know. Love it. Beautiful stuff. Now, it's one of those things where, as you said, as a, as a kid, you like certain things more than you do as an adult, or some things end up cloying. Uh, the, yeah. last, the last page of uh, Astonishing X-Men 4 is you get this great moment with, you know, uh, Rogue being like, the Age of Apocalypse is over, like, we're going to end this. And then you just have a lot of run-ons by Morph, which as a kid I really liked, but now reading it, I'm like, ugh. Like it's, yeah. And not a moment too soon if you asked me, which you didn't. But if you did, that's what I would have said. But you didn't. And as, it's one of those things that... It, totally speaks to if you're a younger reader you're going to like that you're going to like more kind of diffusing that moment and you're going to like that humor if you're an adult reader you're just going to be like that's fucking annoying <laughs> like who would let this guy be on the team they're having an awesome moment looking at the camera looking all badass and you just have more just cool guys don't look at explosions <laughs> yeah turn around and they walk away you know it, we are fortunate I'm uh, mentioning a meme there Paul that there weren't memes really I mean so to speak <laughs> the internet because if there was I imagine Lebdell would have embedded tons of them in this <laughs> and it would have it, it would have totally aged it or like set it in this kind of era where you would have heard him referencing slogans like remember that old slogan for 7-Up where they said make 7-Up yours 7-Up yours yeah terrible yeah right but that's something that you thought was cool. Like, that is a, people are prone to doing that. I'm constantly getting projects from students, and they'll embed memes into their presentation. And if I were to show that to another group two years later as an example of what students did from previous work, they'd be using me? these memes references to what's her name, like uh, Black, something Black, Veronica Black or something, who Re- did that Rebecca terrible Black? song about Friday. Rebecca, Rebecca that's who it is. Yeah, like that was very much a slice, you know, of, of, of that history from that time period. And you look back and you, you just kind of go, it didn't age well. So even though it's hard sometimes to read the the morph lines 
we are at least benefited from there not being any slogans or memes in there. I actually that's some. It's interesting you mention that. There's some writers who definitely lean on that stuff more. I know Dan Slott does a lot of that. He'll throw in like songs and all sorts of references, and then you read his comics like less than a year later. Like, oh yeah, like that's weird. Like it, it takes you out. Like yeah, I mean, like I a lot of the, like the '60s comics. Uh, are relatively timeless in certain areas because they don't always reference things directly. It's when you dire- directly reference presidents or anything like that, it dates your work. So when people can, it's nice to not have that. Like you go back and read Ultimates, and you have George Bush there. It's like, oh yeah, this is this this takes like, and it, it feels like it has to take place during George Bush's America. Like, you but read- it is a reaction to that, though. That is at least yeah. to its benefit. Like, especially the second volume of Ultimates, it's a complete reaction to this Pax Americana hegemonic force that went in against the axis of evil and started invading countries left and right. Um, And, you know, you see China and Russia and these other world powers say, enough is enough, we're going to invade you. Like, that is very much a reaction to it. So at the very least, you could look at it kind of like an artifact of the time. But I feel like I agree, the main Marvel Universe should have a sense of timelessness to it. Mm Mm-hmm. And because it is, I mean, like the like the Legend of Zelda, these are just tales. These are just myths that we keep telling ourselves. And so, when you see Spider Man rebooted, a lot of people groan, or they see Batman get rebooted and they groan. But ultimately, aren't these just myths that we're retelling? And you can tell it in many different ways, and it's okay as long as it's not too tied. Down. I think the danger is tying it down to too much of one time period, rather than saying, look. It's sure the the Punisher fought in Vietnam. Now he fought in Kuwait. Now you know. Now he fought in the Gulf War. Now he fought in Afghanistan. Like keep moving that up. Yeah. Um, as you need, you don't have to be tied down to the one time period. The only character who is is Captain America because he isn't out. Like, That's right. Captain America is very important to be a World War II character, but for everyone else, I mean, I remember when they were complaining, I heard people complaining that Iron Man, instead of having his heart damaged, I believe he originally was in Vietnam also, wasn't he? He was, yeah. It was the Viet Cong that did it. Um, now it was in Afghanistan with the Taliban and people going, oh, and I'm like, why not? That that makes complete sense. It doesn't, you, you, it's yeah. okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, the, the, the one character that kind of flies against that, it's never, it's, it's going to be hard, is Magneto. Because yes. he's aging himself out of it. Like, he already is aged out of it. Like, oh, yeah. for him to have been the right age, to have been gone through that, it's yes. almost impossible to rectify. Yes, but well, that's why they de age him with their amazing science. <laughs> yeah. Right? But, but that's a, a very tough one. I mean, like, there's, there's very few characters that are so tied to a time period like that. Yeah. Uh, and, it, I mean, like, Namor has physiology that allows him to be, you know, age differently, fine. The fact that Bucky was in suspended animation, all right, I will let that go, and I'm not going to worry about him not being as old as he should. Like, these are ones, the characters that existed in World War II, but there's a way of keeping them young. Magneto, there isn't. They haven't come up with, like, they keep trying with science. Yeah, like, that's I'm, all they do. Like, I'm waving well, my fingers like jazz hands, like science. Like that's Well, Nick Fury <laughs> is the same thing, though. I mean, Nick Fury and Dum Dum Dugan are also science. They give an infinity formula, and they solved it, right? Yeah, well, I feel like like they did that to Nick Fury like back in the 60s, so that's been a part of his character for, like, 40 years. Dugan, okay, I'm not a huge fan of what they've done with Dugan, but they basically said now that he's been dead for a long time, and really it's just his consciousness that has survived and, it, and constantly is being uploaded into new LMDs. All right, fine. That's their way of making it make sense that Dugan's still around. I don't really. But they like know it. they what the, they have in continuity that he also had the Infinity Formula. Well, not anymore. Oh, they retconned it. Yeah, 
they retconned the retcon, and now he's dead, and his consciousness survives, because that's pretty easy in the Marvel Universe. There's memory engrams, like, it's not a difficult thing to do. Hmm. Pretty sure everyone has a memory engram out there. Yeah. Well, we've got off topic, haven't we? We have. We've been at again. Um, actually, I, I, here's a question. How do we feel about the actual portrayal of Apocalypse himself? This is a whole storyline that's predicated on the idea that Apocalypse is, is you know, somewhat taken over a lot of the world. Um, his forces control more, you know, North America, as we know. Uh, they've laid waste to much of the world. They've destroyed a lot of things, killed millions of people. How do we actually feel about the character himself as he's written? Um, there's a lot of you know, telling and not necessarily showing here. We see a lot of hearing about what he's done, not necessarily actually seeing him. Like, he has, like, what, one fight sequence before X-Men Omega and that's it? Like, we don't actually get to see Apocalypse do much. Do we think that's a mistake? Do we think that's... You already have so many moving parts. Like, he's he's always the tyrant at the top of the pyramid. He's the end game. He's the final boss of the video game, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, so he doesn't need to dip his toes in and unleash... Hell, he's done that already, you know. He's he's gotten to where he is. He, like, you gotta c- come to me, you know, mm. and show me what you got, and and see if you can survive what I've done. Hit me, hit me with your best shot. Yeah, essentially. I don't think you needed him to really. He has so much in front of him with his horsemen, his minions, everything he's established, the beachhead, the wall, all of it. You know, so it was basically here's a gauntlet, here's a challenge. Mm. Um, I don't think you needed him to. You know, he was the boss when he needed to be. He he, he accepted no less than failure from his uh, his minions, and if they disobeyed, you're dead. Yeah, plain simple. Nate. Yeah, I can agree with that. I mean, when you look at the the title, it is the Age of Apocalypse, and I feel like that is the character that's being, or the setting and character that's being uh, portrayed. We're looking at his age. We're looking at what the after effects of his his cullings, his invasion uh, are on the world. Um, and so we're seeing how it's affected people, their lives, uh, how it's affecting his other uh, agents, his, his, uh, um, his horsemen, how it's affecting the human council. Um, this is more of the story of the age of Apocalypse. And I feel like the story of Apocalypse himself is what we're missing. That, that all happened before this story. His rise to power... Um, some of the cool things he may have do- he may have done uh, is all in the past, and we don't see it. Personally, I, I don't think Apocalypse is a very strong character. I mean, physically strong, but he's not interesting. We don't get a lot from him, and uh, that the, the little that we do get is him kind of barking orders um, and and talking about survival of the fittest. So. Um, it's kind of a weakness. If you don't already know who this person is, or this character is, if you're not already interested or invested in him, you might he might as well just be any kind of big Darth Vader type character. I, I personally think he's a much stronger character in the X Men cartoon, where you get yeah. to see him talk about his philosophies. True. So, given that this is again the Age of Apocalypse, and he's kind of the specter behind it, he's the the big villain at the end of the story. Um, that everyone kind of gets to. You alluded to the idea of him being kind of the the boss at the end of the game. Uh, how do we feel about the actual villains that were used that we have the different heroes fighting against throughout? Are they memorable enough? Are, you know, are their overall character arcs solid enough without necessarily having strong villains? Or how do we feel about the villains in the actual book that we have the X-Men and their assorted other teams going up against? Actually, And I should say, at some point, we should probably talk about the externals a little bit. Because... 
they're not on Earth. Like they they do their whole other adventure. Uh, we'll get to them in a minute. But like it's interesting. We've talked so much about all these other different books. No one's mentions Gambit and the Externals. Like I guess I came in thinking that they made that, the point. He was sent to die. I thought Excalibur was maybe the uh, the dud, but maybe it's Gambit and the Externals because no one's had anything to say about it. No, because like the main points are they go to space to get the crystal. They fight the Imperial Guard and the Star Jammers. Then they come back. Like, there's, you know, Lila Cheney makes a sacrifice to kind of uh, mm. get them back, and they get back. Like, it's not, there's not a lot there. To, oh, and uh, spoilers, Strong Guy is a defector. How dare you? Yeah, there you go. Like, he's, he's a, betrays them. Great. Like, it, it actually, in some ways, feels a lot like Excalibur in some ways. Like, you've got Dead Man Wade, who kind of shows up to ambush them, and they've got a fight and a conflict, because they're trying to get their MacGuffin. They have to get their MacGuffin, which is a person, and the, you know, Gambit has to get theirs, which is a crystal, and they both travel far ways away, and they're not involved in the mainline story, and they both arrive back in time for the big conflict. They're not, they're, they're just little journeys. They're not that interesting, and... I feel like the dialogue is slightly more interesting in Warren Ellis's Excalibur mm. than um, than in the X Force book and in, in, in Gamma Externals. So I don't know. I don't know that we need to say much more. Like, oh, fair enough. And again, uh, we've I've talked about how in like Excalibur you had characters like you know you liked how Mystique was written. I liked how Juggernaut was written. Like some of these characters were interesting in what they added to the overall flavor of the book. Whereas again, Gamma and the Externals, you know, you don't have kind of the cream of the crop. You have a weird collection of characters, uh, which again takes kind of a weird turn in the fourth issue with what Strong Guy does. Uh, you have Richter kind of going after them really single-mindedly for some reason. Like, it, it, a lot of it just kind of feels a little bit more surface. It's like a tester yeah. to see if we give Gambit a book, would it roll, right? Yeah, it does feel that way, doesn't it? Yeah, making him the lead on it and seeing if, if it's there enough to, to sustain anything when you come back to the real 616. I guess I like some of the relationship between Strong Guy and Jubilee, because Jubilee needs someone to kind of ping-pong off of, because without Wolverine, she doesn't have that, especially at this point where, as a character in the in the comics, she'd only ever really had Wolverine. and she was Yeah, still, she's fairly new right now, yeah. And, and now she's branching off into, like, Generation X, where she'll actually develop as a character until we forget about her completely. And then she's just kind of. She's depowered. Yeah, I guess depowered in terms <laughs> that of. That becomes a vampire. Well, not before she became a superhero with a with a costume and superpowers. Like all this weird stuff that happens at Jubilee. None of that's happened yet. This is still she's so early. So it's inter- interesting to see the character bond with Strong Guy, who a character who again has no real connection with like being on Gambit's team. Like they, it's such a weird collection of characters. Like how do these people come together? How did Jubilee survive? Like. Everyone else is older than her. She's so young. So her parents survived long enough to have her and partially raise her. Like, it's just, there's, there's questions. But I don't actually care enough to ask nah, them. Nah, yeah. For that, it's no big deal. Um, so but, villains. So, I th- yeah, I think Havoc, in, in a way, is a villain. He, he was very strong, obviously, having that dynamic of Scott versus Alex mm-hmm. for most of it. Well, he was given a lot more screen time. So yeah, they actually developed absolutely. him as not just a mustache-twirling villain, but although sometimes he practically was. Uh, but they actually kind of show a little bit more of him as a human being, yeah. or a mutant, I should say. Absolutely. I think you see kind of almost sinister at its finest mm-hmm. in, in the storyline. He does exactly what he... Did you uh, did you read the X-Man issues in pre- pre- preparation for this and seeing how what he did to X-Man? Yeah, it's pretty crazy stuff, pretty maniacal. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely, the, 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 the testing and the... And, and the you know, there's that... Uh, and Dark Beast falls under this too, I suppose. 
um, where I think it's in uh, Weapon X, where there's a teleportation incident and like a sentinel hand is now in his chest somehow, yeah. and then Hank's cutting it out very happily, you know, kind yeah. of thing. It was really weird. So yeah, there's some really very dark, dark undertones of of just um, the, with the experimentation with the these labor camps, with the complete lack of compassion for anybody and anything. Mm. Um, you know, it's clearly not. Um, a good time to be alive in this no horrible world, no matter who you are. What do you think of the use of the Reavers? The Reavers are obviously like that's but Wolverine goes up against the Reavers in like what three issues, uh, which is most of his series. Um, did you like the conflict with Donald Pierce and the Reavers? Do you think it worked? Do you think it just felt kind of shoehorned in to give him someone to fight while he was in Wonder? Um, like, well, he was looking for Gateway, or like, what was your read on it? It's almost like. It doesn't feel like anything different that he wouldn't do in his own book anyways. Yeah. So, I guess it lacked some originality. Not that it wasn't a fine battle. Like, it was it was good. Um, but I guess maybe lacked in originality. Okay. Compared to everything else going on in the book. Yeah. And obviously, in Astonishing, we have Holocaust, who I guess is kind of the breakout villain. Mm-hmm. Would you agree with that, Nate? Uh, this and um, Holocaust are very... Very cool. Uh, Holocaust is used more to a greater effect. He actually has a voice. Abyss is just kind of more of a scary force. Same thing with Sugar Man. They're, they're both two kind of monster characters. Yeah. Uh, but uh, they're very memorable. I mean, the big four of memory for me of, of, of villains were Holocaust, Abyss, Dark Beast, and Sugar Man. Hmm. And, uh, you know, how many of them came over? Uh, all th- three of them. Three Abyss of them. did or didn't come over? He did not. But there is a version of Abyss in our yes. universe now, or there was before yes. Secret Wars, anyway. There absolutely was. So, ho- Holocaust comes over, because what happens at the end, get people, if they care, if they haven't read it, if you haven't read it, and you care about spoilers now, like, whatever. If they haven't, um, if so they haven't read they, it, they haven't been listening for three hours. So, they all kind of, like, they kind of take a ride, right? Like, through the MCON crystal, or shard of the MCON well, crystal. Each person like, has uh, a different ver- like a different way that they are affected. Yes. So, Beast yes. was affected because... He was in the transporter, I guess, and um, Quicksilver messed with it, and then clearly Scuttle turned on, and then I guess he got tra- he got basically transported into the MCON crystal. Um, and then X Men takes a shard of the crystal and shoves it and into shoves Holocaust. it into Holocaust. Yes, and they go, and then Sugar Man was like in someone's boot again. <laughs> he was in um, Colossus's boot when the fighting started, and he jumped into the MCON crystal. Right. And so then they get teleported at different times in the at different times and different places in yes. our world. Yeah. So Holocaust and, um, ends up in space in Avalon. They, they, Avalon finds them, right? They, they find bring him in his cocoon. Yeah, exactly. They find and then him frozen in space. You have uh, Holocaust. Dark Beast Sorry. ends up in the Morlock tunnels. No, he experiments ha- on Morlocks. Yeah, he ends up in the past. And then same thing with Sugarman. He ends up in Genosha, right? Yeah. So Sugarman ends up being the original kind of engineer. And then in the in the past, you have uh, McCoy creating the Morlocks and, and experimenting. And that's why that's the kind of the retcon reason for Mister Sinister wanting the mutant massacre to happen because he recognizes um, you know a, a perversion of his own handiwork, which makes sense because Dark Beast kind of studied under the original Mr. Sinister in his universe, so he wants to kind of destroy all of his work, so that's why he goes after um, the Morlocks. 
And but then, he doesn't create the Morlocks, right? The Morlocks are just oddities and ugly mutants who go bleed the tunnels. Doesn't yeah. he just experiment on them? He's experimented on them, yes. Okay. And yeah. then, so, and then X Men comes in the in in the present. Right. So those those three villains that make it over, apparently they were also popular enough with the creators that they thought they were interesting enough to carry over. Well, and, it, uh, it makes sense that they're doing this big event. They got to bring something over, right? Right. I'm, and Dark Beast ends up being a huge part of the Onslaught storyline. So, I mean, yeah. I, I really, really like him. Um, he ends up being cool in Heroclix uh, when he was in there, and he's a great character card and uh, overpower. So my life in the 90s and early <laughs> 2000s is just kept looking for Dark Beast. For sure. Now, I'm, I've always been interested, and I love to talk to someone in editorial at the time, but what led them to decide, of all these new relaunched books, that X-Men is going to continue? Because that's... You know, you get to the end of issue four, and it's like next next month, cable's back, and oh yeah, because you demanded it. And I'm like, did they demand it? Like, what's going on? Like, what led to the creation of X Men having his? Yeah, there's no book? way. There's no way after one issue of X Men that we, they got enough feedback on him that they ran to the presses and said, okay, we need an artist and a writer, and the artist has to start drawing basically by the second month. You need to get a, a move on and draw your first issue and get a lead on this. Like, there's no way that happened. They planned this. So I'm just interested in what, what led them to... Uh, yeah, I, obviously I agree. Like the, the, the lead time was not there, that they would have had that much time to get feedback and then do that. They obviously knew that they were going to bring someone over. I'm just surprised it was X-Men, given that the, there's a lot of options that might have been more popular. Like, why not Weapon X? Like, he was, he's a cool new version of Wolverine that you could easily sell another book. Like, of all of the characters, it's this weird, younger version of Cable. Well, that's so funny you say that, too, now, right? Because we have the old man Logan as our version of Logan. We have an alternate usual, a dystopian version of Logan. You're like, why didn't they do it before? <laughs> like, okay. I hate that they did it now, though. I'm not a fan of it. What, the uh, old man Logan, or if they brought up an X over? No, either. Like, like bring, bring, I think bringing old man Logan is a dumb idea. I've, I'm not huge on it. But you've I'm okay with it. As long as the stories are fine, I don't yeah, care. The book is, I think the book is bad. I guess the whole concept behind it, like, you, you didn't need to do it. I don't... Like, like have a... a the the, the Laura the Wolverine. Whole, ha, like, having that whole story could have stayed where it was. Like, it, was, it was great... Another one of these great what-if stories, and I think that should have been left in its own little hardcover, and you're happy with it. I didn't think yeah. you needed to... Like I don't, I don't know what the point is of having an older Wolverine or a younger Wolverine. Like you have a Wolverine, and ultimately, you, it is odd that they they wanted to kill the younger one off, but then immediately kind of brought him back anyway. Well, they couldn't not have Wolverine around, so they had to. Find well, they have Laura. Yeah, but they, they wanted Logan in some way, and so they didn't want to necessarily cheapen killing off Logan in the shitty way that they did. So. Then give us Weapon X, and uh, give us old one hand. <laughs> Stumpy. Oh, God. Stop. Who, as we learned, and Adam alluded to this earlier, when he had his hand blasted off, he had sheathed the claws. And so when they put this metal cap on it, he just spent the last five to whatever, ten years, keeping that one claw inside until he fought Donald Pierce. And then he popped the claw. And everyone's like, oh my gosh, he's got a stump with a claw out of it. And it's okay, whatever. It's one of those moments, though, like, again, when you're a kid, you're like, that's awesome. And then when you yeah. think about it later when you're older, you're like, yeah. this is stupid. Yeah, <laughs> like this is not good. Yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> like it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Uh, but you know that's what the '90s and what the Age of Apocalypse is all about. Actually, interestingly enough, one thing I want to mention about X Men again is X Men kills Mister Sinister, which is 
Like, it, it kind of happens very offhandedly that, you know, Sinister thinks that he's playing possum, but he's actually been injured, he's bleeding, and then he dies. So it's the implication that, like, Sinister can die if it's, if it's X-Men. Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> I don't buy it. I don't buy it. I saw him explode into, like, a million pieces in the X-Men cartoon and then start recollecting himself in the water in the Savage Land. There's no way that Nate did that. Well, I mean, Nate's got all these powers that are designed to fight apocalypse. Like, but he doesn't get. He doesn't understand, right? He's unstable. Yes, but they're saying like, even when he's when he's so emotional and angry, he's able to stop someone as such as a Mister Sinister. Like, I don't, I don't mind that as a canon kind of idea. I, I guess it offends you more. I, I Sinister is like his his actual only power, as far as we know. I mean, he can shoot energy blasts, but ultimately, besides rocking a, a, a goatee uh, and having a cape that's cut to ribbons, his ultimate power is his body doesn't die. Right? It shapeshifts. It doesn't age. It yeah. can heal anything. Like that's his whole thing. I don't think that this. Unex, inex, I'm just saying the inexperienced Nate Gray hitting him or hurting him. He'll heal. He can heal from it. Not that it matters because the world just fractures into a crystal after this. But whatever. So actually, I want to mention that before we kind of end off here. Um, so the ori- the original version of this univ- uh, of the Age of Apocalypse was kind of violating the kind of core tenet of how time travel works in the Marvel Universe because essentially for four months this was supposed to be this is the prime reality this isn't a different reality this is the prime reality changed and now we have to change it back and at the end nuclear holocaust basically happens at the same time as the the um, the reality wave hits and everything kind of gets reset right obviously that gets retconned later this is earth what 298 or something um, and now we keep going back to it we keep getting stories we get the dark angel saga we get all this stuff that kind of comes back to this universe. Um, do we like that, or do we wish it kind of had ended with a full stop and we never came back? What are your takes on it? Like, personally, I kind of feel like I wish that we'd never gone back. I think I like that it ended. I like that it was bleak, but everyone died at the end, but it was resetting reality and that we never got anything more. I didn't like the 10th anniversary series. I didn't like Bacala's art in it. I didn't like what I read of the story. I don't remember much of it, but I remember just not liking it. Um, there's been a few instances where they've gone back where I haven't minded it as much, but I just don't think it's necessary. I think I like that this story happened. I just don't feel the need to keep going back. We took the best character, some of the more interesting characters out of it, brought them over to the Prime Universe. That's fine. I just don't feel the need to continuously go back to the world. There's silence in the room. Why? Well, it's a loaded question. Nate? Okay. Um, no, I, I agree. I don't think that anything that has come afterwards has been to the service of the greater story. Um, so, yeah, the characters being pulled out. I mean, uh, frankly, the more interesting storyline is when Remender brings the Uncanny X-Force into this universe to get the uh, the seed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they pull out of it Kurt who stays with the team for a while and teleports a shark into Blob's stomach. Like, that's, that was really cool. That was fun. It brought in a little bit of the nastiness and the bloodiness of Age of Apocalypse into a book that was about nastiness and bloodiness. It was a perfect match. Yeah. Um, so that, that those kinds of revisits are fine. I'm, I'm happy to see the universe existing. I don't, I don't need it to have ended, but giving me snapshots is, is a good way of doing it. Um, and I think that's true of a lot of alternate storylines that people remember fondly and go, oh yeah, that was the universe where Batman has a head growing out of his butt. I remember that one. That's amazing. But do you need to spend time there? Uh, probably not. 
Batman. Do you get it? It's Buttman's universe. <laughs> oh, God. Hilarious. Um, jeez. I don't want to contradict myself, because I already said I didn't want, didn't want my Logan to come over. Um, I get, I guess, like, for this in particular, I don't know, I, I, I guess I, when I read Remender's run, with them bringing Max on fire and having Nightcrawler and, and Evil Iceman and stuff like that, I thought it was pretty awesome. Um, I don't remember, I remember that miniseries you, we keep referring to, um, I don't think it was okay, um, I had no issue with it. Um, but I read it more as a, just a bonus story from that universe rather than something that was... It just, I remember reading it and being like, this, this doesn't jive with anything. Like, it, I just, I, I'd have to go back and read it again. Sure. But I just feel like when I read it, it just, it felt so disconnected from the world that I loved. Not love, but the, the, that I that I enjoyed reading about during Age of right. Apocalypse. It just felt totally very different. And that, how do you get to this place? That even that even though the, there was a time jump, I just didn't buy it. I just didn't feel like it made sense. And that um, X Men Omega was very final. It killed a lot of characters, and I just felt like it didn't respect the finality of that. And I like the idea that um, as the whole world was about to re- be reset anyway with the time wave, that you also had. Um, you know, everything was blowing up. The bombs had been released. It was over. Um, it was basically nuclear Armageddon. Even though Apocalypse was dead, it didn't matter. Um, everything was good. Was, I, I just liked that bleakness of that. It was just, it was over. Yeah. Uh, kind of like, like, a, like a Doctor Strange love ending. Like that, there is nothing that comes after this. This is the end. So having a story that takes place, I forget, like five years later, and totally didn't feel like it was connected to that, and characters didn't feel like they were in the same place, it just it never worked for me. No, that's a fair argument. Um, and again, I think that's, I like the finality of the original event. Like it, they really slammed the door. Like they said, like you almost couldn't come back to this. Like the world's blown up. It's it's gone. done. Like even if even if you like, it's almost like they 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 knew that Marvel would be like, well, if this really works, maybe we'll come back here. No, we're blowing it up. Like even if you get around the time shift, we're gonna blow everything up. There's nothing to come back to. And of course, Marvel said, fuck it, we're going back anyway. Right. Um, I just. And that, there was enough kind of going back once in a while with X-Man while he had a book and while he was still a viable character where he would have flashbacks of that world or once in a while like something would happen and he would kind of be transported in time back to his world. That I was okay with. But anything right. that kind of revisits that world and keeps it going, I am not a big fan of. Even yeah. though we had a good story by Remender, I just didn't like that we were going back to that world because it just... It builds off of a series that I didn't like, which was the anniversary series. And now it's been, what, 20, 22 years now, and we didn't get another retrospective. We didn't get, a, like, a, a 20th anniversary kind of return, which I'm almost surprised at. Because of how influential the, the storyline was. Because it really, like, a lot of people will say, like, this was an X-Men storyline that worked. This was an X-Men yeah. crossover that, even though not all the, we may have not liked all the books, but they all had a purpose of some sort. Well, that's what they like. Can you not now look at the gluttony of events that they throw down our throats now? Yeah. And streamline to a degree where these books have that clear and present purpose. Mm. You know, it, it's just, you, this, this, here's the main book, and read that, and you might get some idea what's going on, and here's all the crap that's going to th- throw a label on it, giving you the illusion it's tied in, and you read it, and it's nothing to do with nothing. Yeah. Uh, and Not that they haven't point. always done that. As you said, you had a Punisher Impact issue of Onslaught. It doesn't have a lot of connection. Like, there's, there, there's a, the, the, the helicarrier went down, that's about it. 
That's true, but it gives you... It gave a sense of what was going on in the greater Marvel Universe from his perspective, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he's doing his shit, he's trying to find Kingpin or shoot some fucking bank robber, and oh, shit, the hell is going down, let's go save GW Bridge. Like, whatever. It, it, if, if I'm a Punisher reader... You love that issue, don't you? I, I found it at a Byway in Trenton. It's a new collection. It, it's, a, it's a sweet piece I picked up. I'm happy with it. <laughs> Byway. Um, it's a special place in my heart. Um, and off, off a classic uh, rack in a, in a thing, right? I was. I want you to know that Adam's American listeners have no idea what you just said. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, like a value village in like I don't know Springville, Illinois. I don't know. Yeah, a bargain store essentially. Yes. Yeah. Super bargain, like yeah. back in the day, small towns had byways. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, if you're a regular, if you bought Punisher every month, you just saw this thing happen. This is how that event was impacting yeah. him um, and it made with it sense for Punisher he's not suddenly going up guns of blazing his onslaught he's just you know happens yeah. to be passing by although I would have read I would have read that comic that would have been amazing <laughs> it would have lasted like two panels I know but it's like a rocket launcher against this like mutant god it would be amazing well especially if it's like the last version of, a, of onslaught which is basically just a cloud like how would that even work Napalm. Sounds again. Napalm. <laughs> All right. I'm going to... Let's bring us to a close. I think... What are we nearing at now? Like three and a half hours or something? You jerk. <laughs> Vintage. Uh, well, I don't know how many is. episodes this has actually been. Uh, it's, it's, but we're at about the three and a half hour mark. Uh, so, I guess final thoughts. We've had a lot of thoughts. Final thoughts. I, I should say, I, I, I'm a huge fan of The Age of Apocalypse, obviously. I own this. I'm trying to count. I think in four different formats... Um, I have the original single issues. I bought it digitally for a dollar an issue. Um, I have the complete uh, Age of Apocalypse epics. And now I just recently in the last month bought the Age of Apocalypse omnibus, which I've been thinking about for a long time. So Now he's just gloating. <laughs> it's not gloating. I just, it sounds like it. Yeah. I just happen to really enjoy it enough that I've actually bought it in some method four times. So For those of us that know Adam, we know him very well. He is a gloater, so this sounds in keeping with his personality. <laughs> okay. Leon, Leon knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> I just love my Age of Apocalypse. It's important people know how much I love it. Yeah. Paul. So you, do you own the epics? No. No. Okay. No, I did not own it in any way, shape, or form, so maybe I should steal one of your versions. Didn't you have the singles, though? No. Ever? My friend had the singles. I only, oh, okay. I only read his. Interesting. Yeah, but it still had a place in your heart. Yeah, it, it was still. From what I remember, when I read it, it was it was a very cool, fun, uh, awesome what if story. And I love good what if stories. Um, did it, did it hold up for you reading it now? Yeah, going back and like reading stuff I never had before, didn't wasn't aware of before, mm-hmm. giving you kind of different perspective on things. Again, I, I really like that that one snippet that really. Here's what the book was. Here's what's becoming, and here's the mission statement. I really like that. I really yeah. like. I really want them to go back to doing that kind of shit, and because that makes sense of things. Mm. Um, you know, don't do, make every damn book a tie-in. Have books that have a purpose as a whole for the event. Give me a reason to buy it, and and go. Yeah. Um, I think it's well put together, well crafted uh, because of that. You know, you have the Alpha, you have the Omega. Here's everyone's. You know, you start here, everyone goes off, does their thing, and they'll come back uh, mm. at, the, at, at the end. Yeah, it gets kind of messy, and then let the slaughter begin, and it gets a little out of hand. Absolutely. Um, but you love the creative takes on the characters, their powers, their histories. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, and you and and this event was long enough that you could really delve into a lot of those things on some key characters and really flesh out um, a side of them you never knew they had. Some made sense, some didn't, but I really like um, the stories that have the time. We have these little like one or two issue ones, um, and so, sometimes it is fun to leave stuff to the imagination. There's a really good uh, Wolverine the X Men comic that Aaron does. Mm -hmm. um, when Wolverine's a little older and he has a school and I always out in space seeing everything from all his brilliant oh, yeah. eyes. I thought that was a really cool like one shot story like which didn't explain everything but it left you a lot to kind of yeah. think and guess and piece together on your own. Well, I guess cool. You get a lot of that in this event because as you said we see characters in different places but we don't necessarily get the backstory to explain it. Mm -hmm. So you can kind of build it in your head. Yeah. I mean there's, there's a lot that you can kind of you know that's left to your imagination you can kind of construct what this character's you know previous worldview was. We get snippets of it, like uh, Nate mentioned, um, uh, Sunfire. I mean, you get a snippet of that horrible, horrible history that he's gone through, but you don't know all of it. So there's yeah, there's, you kind of get to play in the in the gutter, so to speak. Like you can really kind of build. It allows you to use your imagination to kind of fill in the blanks for how these characters became who they are now. You get enough of a sense, but they don't they don't also knock you over the head with it. Yeah. Do, do you want do you want to see the fight like? The, the the blast the hand off lose the eye. Did you want to ever see that fight? No, I think it's 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 better as as you get like the one snippet of seeing them about to fight, not even fighting. Right. You see you just like the claw out, and you see them about to blast them. Like that's it. I I I think it's actually cooler that way. I think if that was done now, you would absolutely show that fight, um, and that would be an entire issue. And I think that would actually, in some ways, almost lessen the impact because um, there's just something about knowing that they fought, seeing the after effects. Knowing that it's kind of weird that Wolverine didn't just regrow his hand, but whatever, uh, but but not not having to worry about those details, just kind of knowing they fought. This is the ending. You get the the, the excitement of seeing that moment before it happens, but don't, you don't actually have to go through watching it. And again, you can use your imagination. I think often these days they don't always respect the audience enough to be able to use their imagination. Although in the 60s they didn't either. They would explain the crap out of everything. Like right. everything got over-explained. And to a degree, they used to do that in the 70s, 80s, and 90s too. I'm almost surprised that they didn't explain more here. But I appreciate that they didn't. Nate, final thoughts? Um, I still I, I still love this, but I think a lot of my love of this is very much rooted in nostalgia. I don't think I could recommend this book... To a new reader, uh, maybe a reader who's really interested in alternative storylines, alternative reality storylines, uh, and again, I would start them with Astonishing X-Men. I would say, again, if you're interested, spend a dollar or whatever it is to get a, a copy on Comixology and then see how you enjoy it. And then just kind of build up from there, and I would recommend that um, new readers avoid the full collections because they can be confusing. You can buy the, the, the first volume of this in the original trade, and all you'll get is like prelude filler and you won't actually get to the main storyline and this is a volume that costs almost 50 bucks Canadian or 30 bucks US so you're paying about 30 bucks if you're American to not read the storyline <laughs> and then if you buy the second volume you'll get the first issue of everything and yeah. get no closure on anything well so, the good thing again is that we now have new volumes that are on stores so these are out of print now. These these complete apps. That's true. But even with the three volume, the new the new format, you're you're still not going to get 
perhaps the the, the storyline you want, and if you can buy it with laser precision on Comixology, <laughs> that's laser my precision. Well, yeah, an issue at a time, right? No worries for you. Even if you hate the first issue that you've read, you never have to go back and read anymore. My fear is that I, I do want people to uh, love or appreciate the aspects of this that I love and appreciate. I just don't want them to end up having the issue, the first issue they read, being one of these kind of ex. Extra, you know, uh, ancillary issues, and kind of going. Why does Rogue look like a terrible mullet woman? And uh, why did nothing happen? They're talking about crystals for you know an issue. And uh, yeah, that's 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 my fear. I want people to have the best foot forward, and then kind of. I really think by growing slowly and, and buying an issue here or there, or, or building up your collection of this series, doing it slowly is maybe the better way to do it. And I, I I'm, I'm fearful because my my wife's experience was, yeah, I read, uh, I started at the beginning and it just I'm bogged down in exposition. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's hard for like newer readers or readers who've been kind of raised on the kind of the 2000s and up uh, style of storytelling, which is more, I mean, not necessarily always more sophisticated, but definitely um, doesn't overwrite. Um, in fact, sometimes underwrites um, a different focus. Like, obviously, these comics are very much about the art. Uh, the art's a huge draw, um, cause that was, that was the time. It was the time of the artist and less on the, on the writing itself. So you have very purple prose. You have over, overly bombastic art because it was an overly emphasized look at, you know, kind of poster art as opposed to storytelling art. Um, it is very much a product of its time. So if you're someone who didn't kind of have that as, as your base in some way, it's very hard to go back. Yeah. That's, that's how I feel. So I don't want to feel like I'm overselling it, how good it is, but there is good stuff here uh, for you to, to look at and enjoy and see the X-Men from a completely different time period when the X-Men were the biggest book or books that Marvel had, as opposed to this almost shameful secret that we're dealing with in 2017. Um, and maybe one day in the next, you know, in the 2020s, Marvel will get the property back from Fox and they can reboot the X-Men books and not have it be all about Inhumans again. That'd be nice. Well, well, they gave us a snippet of hope post uh, in Humans vs. X-Men, but it looks like they're not going anywhere we want them to go. Yeah. Anyways, well, thank you guys for spending the last three and a half hours talking about this event. I appreciate it very much, and I hope our listeners do too. Um, and uh, who knows, maybe someday in the future we'll do another one of these kind of event recap things. I don't know what's left for us, though. That We, we should do AVX again. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll do the one from the sixties. Okay. I don't that, like the one issue. <laughs> yeah. We just, we do Secret Wars, right? You, you, yeah, you, me, and AJ um, did a, a Secret Wars recap. Okay. That was that was a long one. Yeah. Uh, we've done. We've we've knocked off Clone Saga. We've knocked off Onslaught, Operation Zero Tolerance. Uh, Sure, there's some other X storylines we can hit, but they're not going to be big, like great ones. No, like do you want to do like Extinction Agenda or stuff like that, or Fatal Attractions, that kind of stuff. <laughs> I would do Fatal Attractions. I, like I would, I would do Fatal Attractions, but I would rather do Executioner's Song. But there's one too. Right? That's a messy <clears throat> one. I would do that though. Yeah, that we'll have to put that on our on our bucket mm-hmm. list for this year. <laughs> Get it done. Uh, Executioner's Song, yeah. Extinction Agenda. That's a tough slog. Well, I'm just throwing out three no, no. off my head. I mean, th- that being said, like they're not that long. Like Paul's just naming mission cards. That's what he's doing. Maximum carnage. Well, if you want, want to like do something that's not very good, talk about maximum security. That's a Oof. yeah. That's, yeah, that's no a one, no one likes that. <laughs> um, okay, 
Well, thank you so much, guys, and thank you, our listeners, for listening to this very long episode, and we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>